dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hey friends, today is Father Michael's episode. This is Mother Natalia. I should have said that first. Anyways, he is talking about um, a podcast that he listened to by, uh, I almost said father, he's not a priest, Jonathan Peugeot, Peugeot. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. This is a pretty embarrassing introduction. Uh, Father Michael talks about um, going out to meet people on the peripheries of the church, going out into the world to um, to stretch the boundaries and, and meet people where they're at. He talks about what it is to receive the scraps, um, such as the scraps that our Lord offered to the Canaanite woman when she asked for them um, and um, shares the story of St. Christopher, which is just really fun and interesting and a great story if you aren't already familiar with it and a great story if you are already familiar with it. And if you um, if you want to listen to this episode, you also get to hear Mother Natalia sing a little bit of some Red Hot Chili Peppers. And if you are a hashtag banter hater, you're going to want to skip ahead maybe like 5.45 after this intro, I didn't do a great job of paying attention today. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Hello, mother. Hello, <laughs> father. Why? Why? <laughs> it's only going to be my episodes where we do that, isn't it? It's just my tradition. As if we had not said hello before we hit record. Um, why is there, why is your office look like an airplane. <laughs> this is like the weirdest situation that I'm in right now. Okay, so we had scheduled to record today at one o'clock my time. Today is my day off. Um, like my, today is my transferred day off for, for my feast day. We get our feast days off and I couldn't do that on the actual feast day because we were doing accounting. So I took it off today, um, which I usually record during work time but this was just the only time it was possible. So I scheduled it. And then um, Mother Gabriella needed to go car shopping today. And she was going to do that alone because nobody was available to go with her. And she was freaking out about it um, because she's never done that. And she doesn't have a poker face. And she was scared that the car salesman was going to try to get her to do all of these things um, and whatever. So she was scared to go alone. I totally get it. I would have been terrified to go alone. And during matins this morning, I realized it was possible for me to go with her to support her if I could just like during her dentist appointment, I could have my Spanish book club um, in the back of the van, (laughs) (laughs) which I did. Sounds like my life. And then I finished book club while she drove to the car dealership. And so I'm FaceTiming speaking Spanish for like 30 minutes while she's driving. (laughs) And then, um, and then we went to the car dealership and then I was like, I'll just find a parking lot to record in and I'll just sit in the back of the van in a parking lot, uh, and record with Father Michael because I use the phone for a hotspot when we record anyways. And the irony is that the hotspot out in civilization is actually much better internet than I usually get at home. And so the irony is I have fantastic internet right now compared to usual. But here's the thing. I was driving to find a parking lot and my goal was like a grocery store. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, 
there'll be a huge parking lot and I'll find like, I'll go to some spot in the corner and it'll be weird, but not like too weird. And, but then I just like started driving and expected to just pass a grocery store and I didn't. And then it was time to record. And so I just like pulled into this parking lot and I set up and then I realized it was like a school parking lot, like a public school. (laughs) And I was like, it's going to be really weird if someone sees like just some (laughs) strange person sitting in the back of their van on the floor with, with headphones, headphones and a, and a laptop <laughs> and a microphone in a school parking lot. And so I was like, this is not a good idea. And so this is five minutes before we're supposed to record. And I was like, I'm just going to go somewhere else. And so I look up a grocery store as I'm driving and there's not really anything super close, but it's kind of close. But then the GPS isn't working and I'm trying to mess with it. And then I realized there's a cop in the car behind me. And I'm like, he's going to pull me over for using my phone while I'm driving. And so I'm real stressed out. And so then I just pulled into a random parking lot, which is like maybe a psychiatrist's office, but also it seems pretty deserted. So I think at this point it's just a deserted lot. And I just parked there and then people kept like pulling in next to me to like smoke or I don't know. It's just a real sketchy place and I'm in a sketchy situation and (laughs) I feel like I look like a weirdo. Um, it's also real say, hot. Like, I have the the windows cracked, but I'm like real no, sweaty. Um, no. So those are all the, it's that's really the story of what's happening in my life. I was going to tell you, if you pull into the corner of the corner of parking lots away from everything else, that's where sketchy people hang out to do <laughs> sketchy things like, like smoke when they're hiding for their parents or to other or record podcasts, other thing near do wells do in the corner of parking lots. And so you just found that out. It's like, it's like when I was in Denver, when I first got to Denver now 20 something years ago, um, I would go to the 24-hour Starbucks and I would sit there between about 9 p.m. and 4 a.m. and I would work on my master's thesis. I would do all of these things there and I would realize like who sits at a 24-hour Starbucks at 3 in the morning? Well, there was like, I won't say, but there there was like the the (laughs) weird, there was like, there was a lot of albinos because they like, that was their daytime because the sun hurt their skin. There was like people that would be living very, very odd lives, lots of body modification and things like this going on. And so it was like, it was a very weird little community. And And then there was this priest, (laughs) this priest who sat in the corner, finished the master's thesis because he was a total night out. And when I got to Denver, there were no, there was like no set liturgy times. So I just was like, hey, let's do it at noon. People on the lunch break, well, liturgy every day at noon. So I could sleep in until like 1130, you know? So anyway, I would stay up all night. So yes, the corner of parking lots and 24-hour Starbucks, which I don't know exists anymore. That one that one had uh, all of us ne'er-do-wells ended up making, I think, such an awkward situation that they ended up closing at like two. <laughs> so people didn't come <laughs> well, around I know now. drunk at the I've, bars probably. I've learned. Nice. I've all learned right. about the um, of parking lots. So it's my topic, right? Oh my gosh, you're asking that as we're recording. Yes, it's I your am. Topic. I have a topic. Okay, I have a topic. And actually, it's actually one I'm very, very excited about. You're like, about. I just made it up 20 seconds ago. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, but I, I probably could have, but um, I, I had to look over my notes um, because this this is going to be, this is an advertisement for a different podcast because this, these are my own insights about another podcast episode from a different podcaster that blew my mind. And th- this episode Ooh. was was recommended to me. Very flat. I'm very flattered that somebody said it. By the way, 
Um, if whoever from the pilgrimage in Olympia, which whoever told me that I should listen to this episode, um, was that gunshots? I don't know what it was. Everything's fine. <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> I'm just going to peek out my car, but I think everything's you, fine. You, you are not You're good. Be keep focused. talking. I'm listening. How, I'm, how I'm totally focused. I'm listening. I'm not in Cleveland. I'm in Akron. <laughs> <laughs> I wish people could see your face. Um, I'm listening. Just keep talking. <laughs> you are getting mad that I'm not just talking. <laughs> um, so, whoever... Olympia. who. Whoever from the Olympia pilgrimage, the annual Aparkial pilgrimage, told me to listen to this episode. God bless you because it it was it was perfect. Um, so, Jonathan Bajot has a podcast called The Symbolic World, and it's a great podcast. He's a great Orthodox Christian. He talks about symbolism. He's an artist. Most of you probably know who Jonathan Bajot is. <gasps> um, but I a, know what podcast episode you're going to talk about. I don't. I doubt it. I'll bet you a beer. Because you prayed for Saint through the intercession of Saint Christopher in the opening prayer. Oh yes, I did. Okay, so which episode? Oh, then? you owe me a beer. Uh, only if you get it right. Well, I don't actually. I've never listened to Maybe his. Maybe he podcast. talks about other episodes. I never listened to his podcast, but I heard. Um, I watched recommended recommended by Father Deacon Jonathan. I watched okay. um a YouTube video on that he did about the zombie apocalypse. That's it. Dang yes, it, you, you owe me a beer. This is wasn't it an amazing episode? It's amazing. So Jonathan Bichot, the symbolic world, has this episode that is called, I look it up, Pentecost for the zombie apocalypse. Yep. And mm-hmm. the zombie part, I'm not gonna go into. You can listen to it on your own. He starts <laughs> out with zombies. It's great. Um he's giving a talk. Um I, I forget where he's giving the talk. To but anyway, the podcast episode and, is a talk at a, at a mm-hmm. priest conference down in the South, I believe, right? Um, okay, so mm-hmm. that, that was the one. I now have listened to a bunch of his stuff, so I get him all confused. Um, but but pretty much to start this off, uh, one of the things we also had a talk, so I don't make this completely about that episode. I'm not just retelling the episode. Um, I'm going to kind of adapt it, and I want your feedback by there, especially since you've already listened to the episode. But um, we also had a talk, uh, Father Josiah Trenum, who uh, is a very, very well-educated Orthodox priest um, who has a parish out in Riverside. He has like 800 parishioners. He has like 100 people at a time coming into the church. Um, it's it's absolutely incredible. Um, but um, it, we have a different mindset, and I and I, I cannot recommend, of course, he, he, he rips on the Catholic Church a lot, and I just kind of ignore that stuff, um, but he does it quite a bit. So um, be, if you're going to listen to him, please be very careful, but he is- Jonathan a, or Father Josiah? Father Josiah. Um, okay. If you, if you, if Father Josiah, if you, he has, a, I think, patristic nectar. Anyway, you, you, it, it takes a, a certain confident person in their, in their Catholic faith to, to watch his stuff only because he, my, my, my biggest complaint about him, and I would tell, the, tell him this to his face because I think he could take it, um, is that he- when he preaches the truth, he also becomes very quickly what I would interpret as being very dismissive or even mocking of those who believe something else. Mm-hmm. And I know that that does attract a certain type of person. You know, there there is a there is a certain type of person that 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 you when someone mocks or or um, is dismissive, it 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 seems to come across as a certain authority that's attractive in this day and age. We're attracted to someone who's that strong on something, but I. I honestly think that if I did it, not I don't not gonna put this on Father Josiah, of course. If if I spoke like that, I would be speaking out of an insecurity, and I'd be speaking out of a a place of 
of I kind of have to mock and and do that in order to get my point across. Um, so anyway, but I I actually doubt he does that. I I think he is a really really good man, and the the things that he's done, he can have confidence. Like his church mm-hmm. is amazing. His community is amazing. It just everything seems to be pointing to he's he's saving souls. You know, um, so so God bless him what he does. Um, but Father Josiah did give us a talk at our clergy conference. Um, and he did say he had heard from his spiritual director. That's interesting that he would be like so antagonistic towards Catholics, but then speak at a Catholic clergy conference. It, it's it's a very nuanced. I don't think it's antagonism. It's it's a very nuanced thing because he he can see the good in us. I mean, he walked into the church and immediately started venerating icons. He bowed. I mean, it's, it's like, mm-hmm. he's very aware of what's good about the Catholic church and about us Byzantine mm-hmm. Catholics. Um, he's but he also, also very is, aware of what's not. <laughs> well, he's very aware of what he thinks is not, you know, and, 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 mm-hmm. and what, mm-hmm. he, and when he mocks those things and then it's, he's just very confident in his orthodoxy and that that's a good thing in general. I just, I, I, I wish, I wish he would be a little less dismissive only because it, Dismissive and even mocking sometimes, I think, because I think that 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 impedes the souls under his care from yearning for unity, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think that so anyway, there, there's so much of that online, and he's he's I think in many ways one of the good ones. Um, but um, so he said that his spiritual father said to him, which I'm going to do start with this from now on. When we travel, because I'm on like two new committees now for the eparchy, so I, I'm I'm traveling a little bit more than I used to. Um, so. When we travel, the last thing we should do before jumping in the car to go to the airport or whatever is to venerate at the altar. And mm. the first thing we do when we get back is also to venerate our altar. So our, our mm-hmm. altar, where we're assigned as priests, where I'm assigned to St. Mary's, St. Mary's is the, the, the center of my world. And that altar is the center of my world. I think I've shared again mm. that when a, what a traditional place for... Um, a priest to go to confession. Sorry, I just got a I just got a text for my next appointment. Um, um, the 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 a traditional place for a priest to go to confession is actually on, um, at the altar. So mm-hmm. I think I've said this before, where normally the faithful will go to go to confession in front of an icon of Christ. Um, oftentimes the icon that's on the iconostos. Sometimes in front of an icon made without hands. Um, but anyway, the, the, there's, they go to confession there. A priest goes to confession at the altar because in a sense, that's where he's returning to when he's freed from his sin. But that's also what he sins against because at the altar where he stands to pray, at the altar where he stands um, to, to consecrate the Eucharist, this is his home. This is where he should feel most comfortable. This is where he should be um, the most... This is where he should be the most um, at home. This is where he should, you know, he, he, this is what uh, it should draw him to virtue. Um, sorry, do you have anything to say about that? I need to text this, yeah. but I think it's a, I think it's yeah. a, a, sorry, go ahead. Um, I need to text Only that, I, I think that it's really, um, I don't know, it's just like a really beautiful conviction. I'd never thought of this before, but I mean, the same, the same should be true of me, right? Like in my monasticism, the, the chapel is the center of my life. Prayer is the center of my life. The Lord um, in the Eucharist is the center of my life. And I can't, I can't venerate the holy table in the way that you can, but I think it would be a really good practice before and after trips in my own life because I also travel a lot, probably more than your average monastic. Um, and so it would be a good practice for me even to just like 
pop into the chapel uh, mm-hmm. right before I leave and just like reverence the altar, even though I can't venerate it. Um, yeah. And and, yeah. and your cell, like, like you're, you're sitting in your cell, mm-hmm. venerate the icon even in your cell, because you're right, that I, I really like that application. And I think for, for, for people who work outside the home, it's probably the same thing. Like venerate your wife or your husband's forehead. <laughs> No, like this is this is this is home, right? Mm-hmm. So that should be the last thing you do before you leave, and the first thing you do when you get back. You know, kiss your mm-hmm. kids. You know, go to your icon corner. There's a certain sense of when I'm leaving here, I'm going out into the wilds, and this is what applies to this podcast. You can see where I'm going with this mother. Like you go out mm-hmm. into the wilds, and then you return home, where where God interacts with you most perfectly, where He does the most work in your heart, and that's kind of what we're what we are. Um, where where we where we should be most content, but also the most convicted to better ourselves for that reality. So, um, so Jonathan Peugeot talks about in this that 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 there, in a sense, there's a center, and the center is especially for priests is our altar. Maybe for you, mother, it's the it's your cell or the chapel. Um, for a family, it's a home, and then and also for all you single people and all you and everybody in in none of those categories, you know, you have probably your home icon corner, your own heart, whatever it may be, you know, just find find something to to kind of allow to be home, and that then then you go out to the peripheries, and in the peripheries, he says, um, there be monsters, you know, mo- mo- mm-hmm. monsters are monsters because they are unknown. And he's very eloquent in this podcast about the fact that you know monsters. We, we our, our society in this day and age, our generation is in a sense obsessed with monsters. I can't tell you how many people find Halloween to be their favorite holiday. Like that, that, that I, I just I, I've never been a fan. I, I I enjoy Halloween for the for you know gatherings and things like that, watching kids do what kids do. But there's something that people they love because they love dressing up as monsters. They love pretending to be somebody else for a day. They love the excuse to do that, whatever it is. But but as he says, there's monsters. But he also says that. The peripheries of of as Christians, the peripheries out there are both the peripheries of time and space. So mm. at the end of time is death. And so in a sense, death is a monster because a monster is an unknown. And death in a in a sense to us is unknown. We Christians, of course, have a faith that 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 death is redeemed in Christ and death is a, a falling asleep. We, we we wake up in heaven. We wake up with Christ. We we wake up at the throne of God in a sense. So so death is not nearly as much an unknown for Christians as it is for heathens, but but there is still this sense of the unknown about it. So the peripheries, the outside of, of space is, is he uses the example of like Cantonese, right? So when I, when I go to China and someone's speaking Cantonese, it's just, it means not like that. It's just gobbledygook to me. It, it means nothing. So, so the, because I don't understand the language. So when I go to the peripheries of space to another country, I don't understand what they're saying. The periphery of time is death. So hmm. the, the peripheries are full of monsters in a sense. Um, but as he says, when we, when we go, when the missionaries went to China, they, they encountered what they perceived. This China was home for the Chinese, but they, per, they perceived something Unknown, something maybe even a little bit scary because they were strangers in a strange land in a sense. But what happened was is the they they took with them the missionaries and they did not say we need to make Chinese culture like the culture of the place where we came from. They didn't mm-hmm. say that we need to adapt the culture. What they did was they say we need to adapt 
the word of God to the culture. Now, don't be offended by that. <laughs> what I mean by that is mm-hmm. translate it. So, mm-hmm. translate the Bible and the liturgy into Cantonese, and then all of a sudden you allow the the the, the Cantonese speaker to have that culture that they they can they can have the language of the Bible. You can bring the word of God, truth of beauty and goodness, to that culture while still allowing them to have the good things about their culture, the truth of beauty and goodness that is there. And so, it's this nuanced. I mean, where where they take some of the truth of the word of God and also keep some of their own culture, but then they they're not monsters anymore. In other words, mm-hmm. in, in our perspective, right? Again, they were never monsters in their own perspective, of course. But for those who go out, the unknown by monsters, I just mean the unknown. Death is a monster, right? The privilege of the monster. So there's this sense of we 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 quote adapting. Though it's not adapting. It's just translating the word of God into Cantonese. And now all of a sudden, the monsters in our perception are longer monsters. They're now part of the church. So they've gone from being on the outskirts, far away to being inside, you know, and yet the church also grew. There's a beautiful icon of that we use for All, Soul, All Saints um, Sunday. And it has, um, on the bottom, it has Abraham because it's in a sense an icon of heaven. So on the bottom, it has Abraham and it has, uh, because it's the bosom of Abraham is heaven. It also has the good thief Dismas. By the way, do you know what the name Dismas means? I only learned this recently. The name Dismas, which is what, the name no. we gave to the good thief. It's, it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's not in the Bible. Um, it means <gasps> Wait. To, yes. No, I don't remember. Okay, so it, it literally means to the west, um, which, oh, yeah, which no, we translate that. as sunset. <laughs> Sunset. Uh-huh. So, in other words, at the setting of this, at the setting of his life, at the very end of his life, he had this conversion. Remember me, Lord, when you come here, kingdom. And I, you and I, I think have done a podcast about the good thief and the story about earlier life on the way to Egypt. I think yes. we did. If not, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so we did that. So yeah, this is did. the the old podcast we did about about the good thief. Anyway, Dismas means sunset. He had a conversion at the sunset of his life, at the end of his life. Um, so in this icon, though, you have in the center of the icon a massive circle surrounded by a mandorla, which is like the, the breaking in of heaven to earth. In this massive circle, and in this circle is Christ enthroned. You have Adam and Eve. You have all the, the saints. So this is the cloud of witnesses that are the saints. Now, it, it's... It even looks in the icon, the way you do the art, like like it's expanding because the the people inside of the icon, they're kind of cut off. So you have mm-hmm. all the saints in the center of the icon, but then the ones on the outskirts are kind of cut off by the circle. And so there's it, it port, you see in it, uh, uh, the, the circle is expanding, the cloud of witnesses is expanding, but it's also complete. So there's mm-hmm. in a sense where the the cloud of witnesses, heaven is not lacking anything, but it all it can expand to include us. So when our generation of, of saints become saints, then you, you it expands to fit us. So there's this beautiful completeness and yet expansion of the completeness um, that allows for this. So this is how the church is. The church can it's fully in completeness itself. It's universal, right? That's what Catholic means. It means complete, universal. It means everything necessary for salvation is contained in this universal, complete church. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't expand. That doesn't mean it can't grow. So there's mm-hmm. this. So the missionaries, of course, help make it to grow, and they go out um, to this this area. Um, any thoughts on that before I move on to the next topic? The I, next I do have a few thoughts. Um, I do have a few thoughts, but one thing, have I ever told you how like growing up, how I, <laughs> growing up is a strong word. I was like a teen in this, um, how I would remember <laughs> that the sun sets in the West. Did I ever tell you about that? 
Um, you would think it's based on like the time of day and like knowing just my location, but that's not how I knew. I always remembered the Red Hot Chili Peppers song. Oh, <laughs> the sun settled in a final location. Yeah. So, um, anyways, it's also not, you would also think that it's because I'm a good Christian. And so I know that <laughs> the sun rises in the East, but no, that's not how I know. Uh, so that's nineties fun alternative fact. rock fan. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyways, so, but that's not relevant really to my thoughts. That's just a humbling thing to share. (laughs) Um, So my thoughts are, one, like this is actually the beauty of the, the, this concept that we have, like in the Byzantine liturgies, our Byzantine liturgy typically is in the vernacular, for this reason, right? Like when Cyril and Methodius would go to a, like the first thing that Cyril and Methodius do um, did was create, was like translate the liturgy and the gospels, I think, into the language of the people. Um, and which is like, that's where the Cyrillic alphabet came from. But the, it also makes me think of, um, you know, people can get upset or offended or something when there are certain Christian traditions that have developed from pagan traditions. Um, and, but I think it's actually like a good and beautiful thing. It's, it's the, it's, it's doing what you're describing of, um, seeing, seeing the culture, seeing the beauties in the culture, um, and, and seeing how this fits into Christianity, not like, not like changing the truths, um, but, but seeing the correlating aspects, you know, um, it, it always makes me, I know I've quoted this many times on the podcast, but it always makes me think of, of St. Paul, you know, like you have this, this altar to an unknown God and, um, you're a very religious people. And I actually, I can tell you who that God is, you know, like he takes this like pagan thing that they have and he sees their good desire in it and, and preaches into that. And it reminds me, there's this incredible book, um, really, really difficult to read. So I wouldn't suggest it to anyone. Um, and if you have a sensitive heart, which I do, it might be very difficult to read, which it was, but the book is called Peace Child. Have you ever heard of this, Father Michael? Oh, sorry, I asked you that just as you were taking a sip. Um, okay. So Peace Child is about these missionaries who went out to, I don't even remember where at this point, which is really embarrassing. Um, in fact, I remember very little about this book. I shouldn't have brought this up. So, but the book is... Um, Basically, this is a culture in which they've never even heard of Jesus. This is a true story, by the way. Um, And this culture, they've never heard of Jesus. Uh, And so the gospels are completely foreign to them. And these these Protestant missionaries go to them and um, they first learn the language and they learn the culture and they realize that this culture heavily favors... um, and and finds like the thing that's most honorable in their culture is if you can if you can have a great betrayal like the closer the friend and the greatest wow. like and you can betray them um then you earn all of the respect and all of the honor wow. and all of the and so when these missionaries eventually tell the story of um well just the gospel they they tell the story of Jesus um, who do they think is the hero in this story? Yeah, Judas. 
Judas, yeah. Um, but then they find that this same culture has um, a concept called a peace child. And this is when um, when there is a betrayal. Yeah, I don't remember the details of it, but like the peace child is the one that is um, sacrificed uh, in order to like release someone else from their bond or something like that. And so then, um, so then they're able to, to like describe Jesus as the peace child, um, of the, anyways, it's just, it's fascinating. It's a really, really good book to read. Um, I feel like the missionaries might end up being killed in the end. Don't remember. That's not really a spoiler because I just don't even remember if it's what happens, but Amen. I have a terrible memory. Um, oftentimes I start telling a story and then I'm like, I should not have started this because I don't remember how it goes. <laughs> That's why I have to look over my notes. Like before, I actually took notes while listening to this podcast and then I had mm-hmm. to look over them right before because I'm like, I, I wrote down a bunch of notes. <laughs> I, I forget. So yeah, so and actually that fits well into into where we go with St. Christopher later on. Um, but, but the, uh, so the way that iconography and the way that, that even ancient culture, some ancient cultures, described or showed a someone who was a monster, namely those in other territories. Right now, we have TV and the internet, and all these things, so we, we 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 can research every other culture. But before we had those things, you you learned about these cultures the hard way, and that you went there, mm-hmm. and and it was you were a stranger. It was a very different culture. Um, you didn't know what to expect. You were very much a learner. You were on an adventure. And so they would describe these as as people like with dog heads. Mm-hmm. So it's like a dog headed people. So the the way that they would show this, it was just that was a way of describing the unknown. The, these are the monsters, right? The dog headed person is a monster. When we when we go somewhere and they don't look or sound or act like we do, um, it, you have a human body with a dog head. That was just the way they described it according to this podcast and the way that they showed it. So um, this makes very interesting a, uh, the story of, of Jesus and the Canaanite woman, um, which, mm-hmm. which was a total revelation to me. Uh, so we, uh, another, I taught, we, the podcast that comes out today as we record is The Fear of God. And Fear of God is one of those things where, where I, I'm more confident now because I've done the research and done the podcast on it, but um, there's something about trying to explain what the fear of God is as a virtue to people that, that is very mm-hmm. hard even for a priest of 20 years, eight, almost 20 years. Um, so the same thing is true for the story. You know, Jesus, as you know, this is Matthew 15. Jesus uh, goes sitting at table and um, a Canaanite woman I should have read it beforehand. <laughs> I'm going from memory here. A Canaanite woman comes it's up. It's real and, sweet and that asks, you said, as you know. Like, and asks as for you food. know, it's from Matthew 15. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> well, um, it's, it, it's, you go and he goes and a woman asks for, for what she asks for to heal her daughter, I believe it is, right? She comes mm-hmm. up and Jesus says, um, pretty much, uh, the the what the food I have to provide the grace I, the mercy the ministry I have to provide is for the Jewish people. Um, why would I why would I take what I have for the people that God called me to minister to do and give it to the non Jews? And He says and give it to the dogs, right? And he, mm-hmm. he says and he so he he calls her a dog. And again, this this is why it's so hard. Like really, you call this woman a dog, and she says, of course, responds and says, even the dogs uh, get to eat the scraps that fall from the master's table. 
and he sees in this a great faith, and so he heals her daughter. Um, I believe the story goes. So that there, there is. It's a very hard thing to preach on, and we hear this every year in a Byzantine lectionary. It's a very hard thing to preach on because it seems like Jesus is mean. Why would the Jesus <laughs> I know call anybody a dog? Now, again, if we understand the culture that that dogs and the dog-headed people were seen, I'm gonna just trust the scholarship on this one, were seen as the monsters. They were the foreigners. They were the ones who were outside. And Jesus is obviously saying, I'm Jewish. I was sent to the Jews first. You're a Gentile. And, and so therefore you're, you're on the periphery, right? We talked about the altar is home. When I travel, it's the periphery. There's a certain sense that it's, it's foreign to, to my experience here. When you go to work, all these things, you're in a sense going to a foreign land, if you will. So there's gonna be strangers, there's gonna be monsters there. So when she says this, she's acknowledging that she is, when she admits that she's a dog, she's not calling herself less than human. He's obviously not calling her less than human. He likely mm-hmm. is calling her on the peripheries. I'm, you know, you're a Gentile. And so she responds and says that, that even the dogs get to eat the scraps that fall from the master's table. So she is acknowledging that, that, that she is a Gentile. She's acknowledging in the sense that she's a foreigner. This is one interpretation, but I think it's beautiful. Um, now, this, what, what, what Jonathan said in this podcast was that this probably means this is one of those boundaries. And he, this podcast is all about boundaries. This is a boundary of, of Jesus's word going from the Jews to the Gentiles. So since he does heal the daughter, this is this is an expansion, a missionary activity, if you will, a going out, a, a, a leaving of this moment. And so so uh, this this is a beautiful moment in a sense of evangelization, going to those who do not have the word. And the woman asks for the word. Now, what's really beautiful is that um, we in in the Byzantine church, we very, very much take this in a sense very literally in that the Eucharist is for those that, would, that, that, is, that is consecrated on the altar and given out to the people of God. This is very much the, the bread that is given to the children. And that's what Jesus is in the parable, the children of God, mm-hmm. those who are initiated into the church, those who, who through faith have asked for it, have learned and, and are instituted into the body of Christ, therefore being able to receive the body of Christ. For those who are not, they in a sense traditionally stand in the narthex and, and there's a, it's the back part of the church. There's a boundary there that when they are initiated, when they are forgiven, whatever it may need to happen to be communicated, then they cross that boundary into the nave. They come into where the people are standing, but also the crumbs of the Eucharist is in a sense, the antiteron. We Byzantines mm-hmm. give out crumbs of bread that were part of the loaf that became the Eucharist. It's not the Eucharist, it's just the, 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 the crust, if you will, the blessed bread that was not consecrated. We give out to anybody in a sense. Mm-hmm. We're literally giving out to the, the Gentiles or the Canaanites or the uninitiated. We give this bread to them on the peripheries, those who, who hopefully are on their way into the church. So there, there's this, go ahead. Well, it's just, I have a, a, a story about the Antiteron, but if you- Please, if go now down, go not the, Okay, well, it's just, I think that can be a really beautiful thing if received with an open heart and an open spirit and like knowing, um, knowing the love that's intended there and the desire for unity that's intended there because- um, I know I went with one of the other nuns to a to an Orthodox liturgy um, several years ago, maybe five years ago, because we had gone to a celebration at one of our parishes, our Byzantine Catholic parishes, and 
there were two Orthodox priests from near the Byzantine parish who were friends with that parish. And so these two Orthodox priests came to the anniversary celebration that this other nun and I were at. And the celebration was a divine liturgy on a Saturday night. It was a, vid- it was a vigil liturgy. So we had technically gone to our Sunday liturgy. So those two Orthodox priests said, why don't you come to our parish tomorrow for our Sunday liturgy? Um, we'd love to have you. And so we took them up on that offer and we went to liturgy um, at their parish. And right before um, the the Eucharist was distributed, um, one of the priests calls over one of the servers and um, and has the server bring out to the other nun and I, like just to the two of us. They had to sit in the front pew um, and they had them bring out a tray with Antiteron. And I think they even had wine. Um, and this is like during the reception To be the very clear, it's right before the reception of the Eucharist. So oh, to I be see. very okay. clear, when I say they brought out wine, I literally mean wine. It's not the blood mm-hmm. of Christ. Um, so they brought out the Antiteron. Um, the the extra pieces of the the communion loaf, the prosphora, that were not consecrated into the body of Christ, hmm. but they've been blessed. Um, and um, and it was like this this clear desire from them for this nun and I to participate to the extent that we can in their liturgy and and this expression of a desire for unity. Um, and I was like, we were both so moved by that. Um, yeah. We had a, when I was in Denver, we had a, a, a wonderful evangelical church that we would assist at because they did great work with the homeless um, called Scum of the Earth. And uh, and we would go down there and they had a lot of homeless people that would come because it was a downtown uh, community. And um, because we'd go down there, we had some of their young adults that ended up coming to our Wednesday evening young adult liturgy at, at Holy <laughs> Protection. And um, when they would come, of course, they would they were practicing evangelicals, and so they would just they liked hanging out with us. They liked you know listening to the Word of God, seeing different traditions. So they would always come up and get a blessing, of course, with the chalice. And we that's one of the things we would do in that parish and my parish now as well. If you're not going to receive, you can also if you want to receive a blessing with the Eucharist and just put the chalice on your head um, that has our Lord in it. Um, but they were they invited us. One of the couples got married and invited us to their wedding. And so we when we went to the uh, when we went to the wedding, they had the Eucharist. They they had you know it wasn't obviously our Lord's body. And blood, but was what they called the Eucharist. So they just had bread that they broke and then wine. And, and so they were, the couple, after they were married, were breaking off pieces of this loaf of bread and handing it out to people as, as their version of the Eucharist. And so um, I was there with, with a parishioner and, and she looked at me and said, do we receive? I said, no, 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 no. I like the word. We're not in a communion, mm-hmm. even though it's not our Lord. It's a sign of mm-hmm. communion. We're not in a communion with them. So we just went up and we bowed our heads and literally they just like, they both gave us a blessing with their hand because Aww. that's what they were used to like, that we got, yeah. you know, they got the blessing with the chalice. It was, it was like a really cool, like, yeah, this is, Sweet. we cute. get something, you know. Yeah. Um, so yes. So the the great, a great example of this then is, and most of you, as soon as you heard, well, we talked about Christopher already, but the, the, the dog head is saint. There's so many icons of St. Christopher with a dog's head. And when you, mm-hmm. when you see an icon with this man's body with a dog's head, most people know that that's Christopher, St. Christopher. Um, so in, in the, uh, the story of St. Christopher, real quick, as it applies, is because St. Christopher, if you read the Golden Legend, um, um, he was a, a Canaanite, like the Canaanite woman, right? A, a foreigner. And that's why he has a dog head, right? He he was someone who 
who was not Christian. He was a foreigner. He was also a giant, according to the Golden Legend. So there's, in a sense, this, he even looked like a monster. Um, but, but, but in a sense, basically, he was a giant. Again, by monster, I don't mean anything bad. I just mean, you know, a foreigner or something unknown. Monsters are unknown. Um, but the way they look, the way they act, et cetera. So, so he is this massive giant warrior. And according to the Golden Legend, he, he wants, um, to find the most powerful man in the world, and he wants to serve that man. And so that's his goal. So he goes and he finds the one that everybody says the most powerful man in the world is this king. So he goes to the king, and to test to see if this king is the most powerful man in the world, he says, who are you afraid of? And the king says, I'm afraid of no one except the devil. And then Christopher goes, oh, then I'm going to go serve the devil. And it was a trick. Mm-hmm. St. Christopher knew, like, whoever you're afraid of is, is obviously more powerful than you. So he goes to the devil mm-hmm. and he tells the devil, who, you know, who are you afraid of? And of course, the devil is, is much more conniving and manipulating. And, and um, the devil, in a sense, as we know, doesn't want to be known that he even exists. So oftentimes the devil says, oh, you know, convinces us that we are God. We are the most powerful. We, we in a sense, we worship ourselves. We are, we are idols. Um, we become an idol that's possessed by the demon, but we are the idol. We idolize ourselves and put ourselves first. Um, but then he finds out through manipulation, through holy manipulation and, and uh, deceit, if you will, <laughs> if you can call that holy, um, that the only thing the devil's afraid of is the cross. And so he he then goes and pursues, asking about what this cross is. What is this thing that the most powerful being in the world, this devil is afraid of? And he finds the cross. And so he goes and he asks this holy man, you know, how do I, how do I follow the cross? This is the most powerful thing in the world. And the, and the holy man says, well, you must, you must pray. And so he goes away, tries to pray and he can't. He goes back and says, I can't, I, I can't, I can't do this prayer thing. And so he goes, okay, well then you must fast. And so he goes, okay. So he leaves and he comes back. He's like, I can't do this fasting thing either. Like, like I'm the, this is what it means to, to, to follow the most powerful man where I can't do it. So then he says, okay, then I want you to go stand on the edge because you're a giant. Go stand on the edge of this river and I want you to ferry people over. In a sense, prayer fasting, this is in a sense almsgiving, right? So, so I want you to ferry people across this river because you're a giant and you can do that. Well, of course, the story most of us know about St. Christopher is that he encounters this child that he carries across the river and that child is our Lord. So in a sense at the peripheries at the peripheries of this river saint christopher encounters our lord there so Hmm. even though he's a really a total mess he can't pray he can't fast this holy man found one thing he could do namely be it do charity to other because of his size because of his gifts and so he 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 encounters christ at the periphery and jonathan bichol is very good about saying here a river is the periphery right the river is something hard to cross and yet in a sense Christopher becomes the ark, like Noah's ark. He becomes mm. the the thing that ferries across, the, that passes through the water. And in a sense, of course, the what, what do we see in Noah's ark? This is the waters of baptism. So by encountering Christ at the edge of the, of the river, he crosses over. This, in a sense, is his baptism, if you will. And he goes from being this, this Canaanite, this foreigner, this monster, this stranger. And he, he does that. And then he becomes, of course, a saint. And, and mm-hmm. so there's this, there, there's so many beautiful messages there, but this is why Saint, uh, Saint Christopher in many icons has a dog's head. Now, the beautiful thing on top of this, and this is what really inspired me because I have, I have a, a church in, in, in Sherman Oaks, St. Mary's, that has a lot of blank space, which I love because now we can fill this up with, with beautiful icons. And then I have the church in Santa Paula that is totally 
a, a blank canvas, right? There, there's no icons on the wall at all. So mm-hmm. I'm looking for these beautiful traditions to incorporate into these these parishes, these temples. And he says that one of the one of the traditions where you where you'll see a dog headed people in iconography is in some ancient icons of Pentecost. So mm-hmm. the earliest icons of Pentecost, um, you have all the apostles sitting around in the upper room, right where Pentecost happened. You have them all sitting there, but. There's um, as many of you know. There's also two versions of the Pentecost icon. If you have the Pentecost icon, we have the Mother of God sitting in the center. This is an icon of the event because the Mother of God was probably there. It wasn't only apostles; it was the apostles and holy women, likely the Mother of God. So when you see the Mother of God sitting in there, that's an icon of the event. If you see Saint Paul sitting there and not the Mother mm-hmm. of God, you said and Saint Paul. Saint Paul wasn't there, so it's obviously mm-hmm. not an icon of the event. Um, but it's probably an icon of of the church because Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Pentecost is when the Spirit turned the apostles and the entire people of God into the body of Christ through the power of the Spirit. I'll be with you always till the end of the time, and that is through the Holy Spirit making us the body of Christ. Therefore, Christ is with us until the end of time. So you have them all sitting around the periphery of the icon. In the center bottom of the icon is just two doors, and the doors are open. So the, one of the most ancient forms of the icon of Pentecost is just two open doors in the bottom of the icon. And this, in a sense, is the, the, the grace of Pentecost. It gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit, makes us Christ, and the open doors are an invitation to go out. So mm-hmm. we, we, the open doors of the, the doors of the church were inside, and then we go out, which is what they did after Pentecost as missionaries. So having open doors is, even in the icon, is an invitation to evangelize, to carry what you've received here, namely Pentecost, and go out. So a later version of that had that doorway filled with dog-headed people. In other words, here here's the the outsiders. Here's the people you're mis- here's the monsters that you need to bring into the church. So go out and serve those monsters. He then mentions very tragically there's one icon uh, in an old Coptic icon when when the Egyptians were under so much persecution that that mm-hmm. it chose the doors closed because there in a sense was we're being attacked, we're we're being persecuted. So we've had to hole ourselves up in the church and kind of live in a bubble and which is a tragedy. St. Jonathan says so eloquently like that 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 icon turns my stomach. You just because call him St. Jonathan. Oh, so I, yeah. Jonathan Pichot, <laughs> like he he says like, like it, it, he it, would be it, it turns so... my Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. Like so he's like it it would it would turn like it turned my stomach. Like hmm. he understands symbolism so deeply that mm-hmm. when you have bad symbolism, like the doors are closed, it literally just like makes him cry, which I thought was very, very mm-hmm. beautiful. So the doors are closed. But but so some have the dog-headed people in there, these who are going to do. And then the most modern icons of Pentecost, you actually have the old man Cosmos. We call him Cosmos because he symbolizes the whole world and he's holding a piece of cloth with like 12 scrolls. So the 12 scrolls for the 12 apostles, these scrolls are the word of God that go out to the entire cosmos. And Pentecost changes the entire cosmos, the entire universe. The spirit asks us to go out to the entire universe. Um, So he said, and I'm going to do this because I think it's beautiful, is that you can actually put the icon over the back doors of the church. So when you leave the church, when you walk out of the doors of the church, you're walking into you're going where the monsters are. You're, you're going mm-hmm. to the people that need evangelization. You're going to those that are foreigners and unknown, and you're going to bring, 
You're going to bring what is known, namely the word of God, a gift given to us, to them, and you're going to adapt it to their culture. Because I was going to say earlier, and I forgot, you, you mentioned that's exactly it, right? We, the church, we have different rights in churches because the church went to different cultures and, and mm-hmm. those different cultures, the good things about them form the church. It sometimes has been done very well. Sometimes it's been done horribly. Like, like you know, we, we, we've adapted too much. Like the culture, we've gone to people that are pagans and we've allowed... Just like, like like when Moses went in and Joshua went into the Holy Land, they didn't kick out all the Canaanites, right? They allowed mm-hmm. pagans to be present. And then, of course, even Solomon fell to the pagans because of the influence of his wife. So, so it's been done horribly in the scriptures. And now where, where we don't, we, we allow evil to remain from these cultures. You think of Santeria in Mexico, things like this, that there, there's been an adaptation and it actually harms the proclamation of faith rather, but but it can, it's also been done really well. There, There's both both things of the case. So I want to put the icon of Pentecost over the back doors so that literally where Cosmos is or where the dog-headed people are or where the open doors are, you're walking out of the church reminded there's a bunch of different traditions of things that go over that door. Maybe I'll just put them all, but uh, one of the ones will be Pentecost. So you, like, you, you go out to the world and, and find the monsters, find the strangers there. You bring the word of God with you and yet you also, in a sense allow what is true and be- good and beautiful about what they're already doing, the way that Jesus has already worked in their life. When those two things meet, they become initiated members of the church. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the traditional icons to go above the exit of the church is also the icon of Dormition, um, the, the Dormition of the Mother of God. And I think it's really funny in our chapel because because of code, we had to have an exit sign over... Um, <laughs> the exits of the church. So we yeah. have the exit sign and right above that is a dormition. <laughs> I think that's really funny. Um, Do you know why dormition? Oh, I shouldn't ask. I did. No, it's okay. I did. We were just talking about this like a week ago and I'm trying to, I don't remember. I don't remember. So we were just, actually, I think we just read about it in, I think it's in the year of grace of our Lord is why. Mm-hmm. And so I think we read it for the mm-hmm. Feast of Dormition, but but please, okay. yeah, remind me. So one of the reasons is because on the front wall, on the apps, you have the icon of Mary pregnant with mm-hmm. Jesus. So you have the platitera, mm-hmm. right? More spacious than the heavens. So in a sense, that's that's that the incarnation is the beginning of her ministry. And then mm-hmm. you turn around and it's the end of her minute. And that was her, it's, it's at the beginning of her being a mother of God and then her death at the back. So some, some churches also on the left will have an icon of the nativity and on the right, an icon of the harem of Hades, of, of the descendant of Hades. Mm-hmm. Again, for the beginning of Jesus's life in the manger, we laid in the tomb and then the, then the stomping of the tombs on the right. Mm-hmm. So you have this, when you go to, when you look to the front, you see the beginning, you look to the back, you see the end. And then also it's a, in a sense, a reminder of death. So, so as as we leave the church, we we are inspired by momentum mori. We're inspired by by the, like you're going to die. So, you know, let let prepare for death as you leave the church. Don't forget mm. what what you've received here. And and when you go out mm-hmm. into the world, make sure you're living in the world according to the fact that one day you are bound for the kingdom of God. You're bound. Mm-hmm. So when you see that we the seeing the mother of God. We know that her body is has a resurrected body in heaven that inspires us to desire the same, the same thing that we can yeah. have as well going into the world. Um, so that was just a side note, but what I want to say about the Pentecost icon. So, so like I said, Father Deacon Jonathan recommended this YouTube video to me, um, which I would actually recommend people watch the YouTube version of it because then as he's 
speaking like the different images are he's sharing them on the thing so you can see the images that he's talking about um so i would recommend that if you're going to listen to it um but father deacon jonathan recommended i listen to it and then um i loved it so much i shared it with the whole community so i've seen it twice um which it's like a 45 50 minute thing probably Mm -hmm. um and then when I watched it with the community, we were talking about it afterwards. And this was, oh, I don't know, probably a year ago, maybe more, maybe two years ago. Um, so I don't remember much. But one of the things I remember is we really loved this, what he was talking about, about the Pentecost icon being above the exit and um, and about it, like everything that you talked about with the, the doorway and then um, the dog-headed people in the doorway because it shows like, I think Jonathan Peugeot has this beautiful balance um, that he explains. We talked about it a little bit, well, a lot in the the episode of yours that we did, Father Michael, expanding the tent. Um, when we talked about um, like what is the modern day court of the Gentiles, because it doesn't just make sense to just immediately bring people into the liturgy, usually. Yeah, like that doesn't we, make sense. We called it expanding the narthex because the synod of synodality is calling expanding the tent. But the episode was called expanding the narthex because we're expanding that entryway. Are you sure? Bet you a beer. We'll now be even. I'll bet you a I'm beer. Bet, I think we beer. called it expanding nice. the tent. All right. You keep on talking. I'll look it up. Okay. And <laughs> so, um, but we are talking about like, what does that look like? And because for most people, if it's their very first exposure, um, to our faith, the liturgy isn't the thing that's going to make sense to them immediately. It's not yes. the thing that's going yes. to first. And so um, I think Jonathan articulated this very well in in this um, episode about the zombie about Pentecost for the zombie apocalypse, um, particularly this icon, because like the monsters are in the doorway which means he's not saying we invite the monsters in. I realize that's a very harsh way to say that. And so I'll give all the nuances that you did, you know, of like by monsters, we mean foreigners. By monsters, we mean those to whom this wouldn't make sense. Um, and in our day and age, I don't think that literally means don't let them into the building, <laughs> but it means like don't change what we're doing at the altar in order to accommodate them don't water down the truths in order to accommodate them. Um, but what it means is like, we have to go out and meet them where they're at. You're smiling because I'm right. I am. Um, <laughs> I owe you two It's beers. expanding the tent. <laughs> you owe me two beers. Um, ah, I wanted to call it expanding the night. <laughs> you're literally the one who typed it in. So um, I do the wrong thing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We still love you. Um, I love you extra because I get beer. Um, so the, ooh, when does this episode come out? Oh, it's way far away from, no, it comes out September 27th. Do you know what that means? That means that when this episode comes out, yesterday yes. was buy and on a beer day um, oh. created by David Bates. Um, after we were on his podcast, <laughs> um, Pints with Jack, uh, he, cause you guys were talking about buy a priest a beer day. And I was like, when is buy a nun a beer day? And he was like, whenever your life profession finally happens, uh, that'll nice. be buy a nun a beer day. <laughs> so September 26th. Um, and I just, I'm going to outdo the rest cause that's how I roll. And I'm going to buy you two. <laughs> You're going to buy me two cause you lost bets. So anyways, um, 
But yes, we have to go out and meet the people where they're at. And I don't just mean go out in a literal geographical sense, like metaphorically, we need to meet people where they're at and we need to to figure out how they will hear the truth um, and and adapt in that way. Like not change the truth, not change the traditions, not change, but like, yeah, I don't really know how to articulate that better. But but that's what one of the things that we loved about um, that particular image that he talked about uh, when we talked about it as a community was that like, because I think that we've done the tendency for people in the church today is to lean towards one of the two extremes that is not the meeting people yes. in the doorway. Um, it's either the like close the doors and don't let in the outsiders or it's the like the outsiders can do whatever they want and in fact we'll change everything to accommodate them um and we need to have the balance there that's preaching the truth um with charity and in a way that can be received while also not watering it down yeah i've heard i've heard in the past couple years i've heard surprisingly people that I, one guy I just met and another one I know pretty well, but both of them kind of began preaching that, preaching that, you know, we need, it's us and them, it's us against them. Mm. Um, it's very much, we need to protect ourselves. It's very much set out of fear. One guy I was at a, at a party and I had just met him, but he was a friend of a friend and he said, you know, he's, he was kind of questioning me because he didn't get the Byzantine thing. And, you know, he, re- he really thought that we all needed to be uh, traditional Latin mass goers and, and all Catholics, you know, and it, so the whole different rites and churches thing was confusing to him. And, and so I, I was trying to be very friendly and I, I think I yeah, was. Yeah, St. John you know, Chrysostom, kick that guy out. Yeah, <laughs> but, I, but I, I did say, <laughs> so I did say to him, you know, well, how do we, if, if the entire church is supposed to be, you know, this one way, and I said, and you, you love the traditional, traditional Latin mass. I love the Byzantine liturgy. Neither of our liturgies are, are conducive to bringing people in off the street. You know, they're mm-hmm. both, they're both have a certain monster aspect to them, right? They're foreign to the world. So we mm-hmm. are a monster to those in the world. And so, and so I said, you know, we need to find ways of, of this is the high point. This is the greatest. The liturgy and the mass are, are the, the, climax they're the, the top the pinnacle of this journey how how do we how do we begin that journey up and help people to do that and and he just he just says no you you invite them to mass that that that's what you do there's nothing else to do and i, I said but that that's going to be turned some people away and finally he just got kind of flustered he says you know what like those who don't want to come don't have them come like we're doing the right thing. Who cares about them? And I'm like, oh, buddy, you know, careful with that. And another one was kind of saying the same thing about entire cultures. Anyway, so yes, yes, we we also don't want to be. We also are the monster that the people that we can welcome them in, and they can. We start looking less like a monster, just like the Canaanite woman did to those who read it. Um, and I love the fact that we have this tradition of Antiteron, literally crumbs of bread that we give mm-hmm. to all of us who cannot receive either yet because we're not initiated or because we're penitents and we, we're, we have to do some penance or uh, you know something else until we can receive whatever it may be. But I, I love that it just so, it adapts to scripture in a way that we can say, yeah, that actually makes sense. Jesus was being a missionary and it was, it was a good thing, a transition from just the known, only the, the Israelites, the Jews, the children of God in that sense to those on the outside, the Gentile, the Canaanite. So, yeah, love it. Thank you. That was yeah, a great topic. Of course.
Thank you. Do you have your shout outs? I do. Um, uh, okay, so these are um, five shout outs to people who support us on Patreon. So we wanted to say thank you to Ben S. from Indiana, Julia M. from Maryland. Tegan M from <laughs> some struggling with the uh, initials here. Um, Tegan M from British Columbia. Ooh. Um, John Paul M from Ohio. And one more. Um, Jonathan C from California. It's one of your bros. By that, I just mean he's from California. <laughs> so thank you all um, for your support of our ministry. Um, you can support us on Patreon if you'd like a shout out, but also if you'd like stickers, but also if you'd like to suggest a mini topic, um, which we are slowly working our way through, uh, or just because you want to support our ministry. Um, it's on Patreon, What God Is Not. If you search that, you can find us. And we... Um, spend uh, we divvy up those those donations for um, um, for tithing for uh, serving the poor for serving other Catholic ministries and um, for supporting this podcast as well so thank Amen. you all <laughs> I didn't tell anyone that you um, left okay sorry I had to get up and I had to <laughs> we've been waiting for two packages that need a signature and I, mm. I knew that if we mailed us that we'd have to go to the UPS store so anyway I threw mm-hmm. it under the bus under the van if you will um, okay uh, so uh, let me do the spiel and then we will give our prayer intentions as we close out so thank you thank you all for listening um, you have, we are on various platforms that you can share if you found this helpful in any way please do for the glory of God um, Instagram, Facebook. I'm on Twitter at Padre Michael O. We are on YouTube audio only. Uh, we, you can find us, our Goodreads page, where you can find out what we're reading and what we're actually, what we're watching. We should add to this, like, hey, these are podcasts that we've listened to or watched because that's what we did this episode on. Um, so we can add those to Goodreads too, I imagine, or good, good listens, good watches. Can you? Um, I don't know. you can see what we're reading, what's influencing us. Um, I don't either, but we'll figure it out. We'll ask Beth. Um, and then uh, we have a nonprofit called Fotina, P H O T I N A dot org. Uh, in it, we, as Mother mentioned earlier, we support the poor, we support the church, we support other evangelization um, ministries, and we we have our own ministry here that allows us to uh, travel and to have studio time and things like that. Thank you so so much for your generosity. You can assist. You can donate there, Fotina.org, or you can go to our Patreon page, P A T R E O N. There's various levels of ongoing giving, and you can also receive various uh, benefits for the different levels of ongoing that you're able to do. So thank you so much for that as well. We have a website, whatgodisnot.com. You can contact us at whatgodisnotpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions or insights, or you want to make fun of Mother or me, or you have any, uh, you just want to praise us, praise Mother, whatever, whatever you want to do, uh, <laughs> be in contact that way. As well, and I think that is all. Thank you all for listening. Prayer intentions. Um, I am going to ask y'all to pray for fathers. I'm giving a, a talk to a bunch of fathers tomorrow night as we record. Um, 
And uh, I I know what I'm going to say generally. Um, I still have some time to kind of formulate the specifics, but um, I think I would just ask to do this. We're going to have a fire pit and some drinks and some food at a prisoner's home and and give a talk to fathers. And I'm going to kind of facilitate a discussion about fathers. So please pray for that, if you will, outside of space and time. And also to pray for fathers in general. Um, I have a ministry. I think our Lord has given me a, an immense heart for women, especially for mothers, um, biological and spiritual, I guess. Um, but but also this is kind of, I, I rarely give talks to men or I have a lot more spiritual daughters and spiritual sons. So this is uh, something I'm looking forward to, kind of leaning into the um, a ministry to men and giving a talk, especially to men who are fathers. So if you could pray for that. Trying to expand your tent, if you will. Exactly. Not the narthex, the tent. <laughs> um, I'll ask for prayers. This is very selfish, so I'll include some other people to make it better. For um, This is coming out on September 27th. September 30th is the half marathon that I'm doing with Mother Gabriella. So mm-hmm. when these prayer intentions are posted on the social medias, it'll be the very next day. Um, so pray for Mother Gabriella and myself, as well as we have a couple listeners who are um, running with us. And so that'll be fun. I'm going to give them stickers to put on their bibs and um, pray not just that we're super fast, but that it's um, it's edifying and that we have beautiful encounters and that it's for the glory of God and for our humility and for all of those things because that's what I'm hoping for. Amen. Amen, so, amen. I think that's it. Thank you, Mother. Love you. Don't die, please. If you need Thank to stop you, running, stop too. running. And uh, oh, I thought you were talking about because I'm in the back of a van in a sketchy no. parking lot. <laughs> what are you, running, <laughs> you mean on the half too. marathon Just day? Just don't die in general. But um, <laughs> but the uh, also uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be actually kind of participating with you on that day. Um, I'm gonna have a sticker on a bib as well, but it's gonna be to sit down and eat food. So you're wearing <laughs> Do you your half marathon bibs, and I'll be wearing a bib to eat food like a baby, and uh, wearing a sticker on the bib while I have a great. What feast. are you talking about? <laughs> I just had to laugh that you called it a bib. That's what they're called. I know it's. I know it is, but it, that's also what you use when you eat lobster <laughs> at a lobster restaurant. You wear a bib, so I'm going to go to a lobster okay. restaurant, stick a what God is not sticker on my bib, and I'm going to eat, and I'm going to go. I'm helping. Okay, you better do it now, and I better get a picture. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Father, can you please just give us a blessing? <laughs> I guess so. May Lord bless you and keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May our Lord work in your heart. May you be open to where God sends you and may you also be if if you are one of the monsters if you will may uh, may you be may God send you those who will be welcoming um, and yet authentic and sincere and orthodox in their their drawing you in um, may you be inspired by the story of Saint Christopher because God met him where he was at um, in his inability to pray or to fast and this holy man sent him with what he could do. May you always see the gifts God has given you and may you find Christ and carry him with you through the gifts he's given you and also be challenged to grow in the ways that Christ calls us to through the church. Uh, may you be patient with those you go to and the monsters in your own life. May you, um, through the power of Christ, not fear death on the peripheries of time, but also be courageous as you go out to evangelize your world and among your family, in your workplaces, among your friends, in the world as you travel and adventure. 
May our Lord give you a courageous heart um, and a true heart um, and an eloquence to preach truth and beauty and goodness to those. May you also appreciate the truth that you find elsewhere and not condemn it out of fear, but rather appreciate it for what it is and see Christ in it and um, allow him to, through your ministry, orient uh, those monsters that you find that they may become, while keeping their dignity, they become members of the one body of Christ as we all are. May our Lord empower this as only he can and may our Lord grant you everything you need, even the salvation of your soul. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. 